want to acknowledge that I am a white settler in Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people for millennia. The indigenous people have taught me many, many things, including supporting my own relationship with the land. Um, For folks who know me a little bit more, um, I am a very earth-centered person, and a lot of this comes from indigenous teachings. I'm so privileged to live, raise my child, and produce, record, and distribute Groovin on this land. And with this privilege, I really hope that Groovin can be a part of the learning and unlearning process. All right, so we have an incredible guest with us today, and this is so cool and very like full circle for me because I've known this individual for a very long time. Um, we have Shyla Walmuth here with us today, and wow, hi, how are you doing? I am great, and I'm so excited to be here today with you, Kylie. I'm excited to have you. I honestly, I think this is like so full circle because I feel like I keep running into you in my life. Like, I don't know why, but we went to high school together and then I ran into you at NSCC. You went to, yeah. So, (laughs) and then I ran into you again in our social work degree. And I was like, what are are you following me around? What the heck is going on? (laughs) I love that our career paths have just been like, crossing Mm -hmm. over and like connecting with each other that's so funny that's so cool so what have you been up to like like tell me a little bit about you and like like uh, I feel like you have so much to say and so much beautiful things to say so just tell me a little bit about yourself um give me the dates yeah so um I guess I'll just kind of do like a quick intro I am Mi'kmaq and I am a member of Pictolanding First Nation I grew up off reserve my whole life though so I did grow up in and around like the Truro area so like Kylie said we did go to high school together we ended up being in the NSCC together and then we ended up being at Dalhousie together for our BSW program so I graduated from Dal last well I guess technically 2022 now. So the end of um, the summer of 2022, I had finished my placement with the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq. Um, I was working with their mental wellness team. And then I went into Jordan's principal. So I was a coordinator, a service coordinator for Jordan's principal for a while. And now I've moved into child protection, which is something that I never really thought that I would do like personally. Yes. Um, Yeah, so it's been different. Um, I started at the very end of October um, with Mi'kmaq Family and Children's Services. So it's essentially the indigenous version of DCS. Um, So we do on reserve. And I'm on the, yeah, so I'm on the intake team. So I do intake and investigations. So basically, like when someone calls in with like a concern for like kids safety, or like, um, what we call like a referral, I'm one of the people that would go out and do that investigation. So I'm doing like the cold knock and like showing up at people's homes which is weird. (laughs) Yeah. I was like thinking, because I remember like when we were doing our social work program together, I feel like everyone was like, I don't want to do child protection. (laughs) I was like, there's no way. Yeah. Wow. And like, honestly, that was me too. And like, I have one adopted sister and two siblings that are in the process of being adopted. So seeing like them go through the system as well was definitely something that was like, 
kind of just like turned me off yeah, from yeah. child protection and like entering into that field. But then I talked to my mentor for my candidacy and she's worked with the agency for a really long time now. And something like she said that really stuck out to me was just like, it's so important to have that like Mi'kmaq representation in uh, the agency. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that was really like my turning point where I was like, I'll give it a shot. It's always worth it to at least have that experience in the long run and like say I tried it yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah you tried it and I feel like it's always yeah I always feel like it's just like always like a starting almost like a quote-unquote like starting point for social Mm -hmm. workers um honestly good for you good for you so are you liking it like how are you feeling it's in- it's interesting because like we only have like our investigations are only open for eight weeks. So like we can only right. really be involved for eight weeks with a family. Um, so it's interesting in that sense where it's like very much like they either like case closes, like nothing was found during the investigation. Yeah. Or they're moving on to a different social worker on like the temporary team or the permanent team. Um, so far, like fingers crossed, all of my cases have ended up closing, which is nice. like really nice because I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not having to be like surprise, like supervision order. <laughs> like, so like that's like, that's been really like, I'm really grateful for that in that sense because I haven't had to navigate that part yet. Yeah. Um, but like, I have seen my coworkers do it and I'm like that seems like so much more intense than what I've been doing because a lot of it is more like I show up at the house I talk to the parents I talk to the kids if they want me to um they'll give me like what we call collateral contacts which is essentially like someone in their life like could be a family member could be a friend who can just speak to how they're doing um so that's basically just someone who can like cooperate like collaborate with me and just say like yes things are going well this isn't a concern I don't have any concerns um so really it looks just like a lot of talking with people right now which is nice Um, and I get to like build on my skills in that sense too which is great Uh, yeah yeah Yeah. so tell me a little bit about like your passion and drive into becoming a social worker because social work like as you know I was doing it as well and then I pieced out, but good for you. You stuck to it. <laughs> Social work's hard. It's hard. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, like, honestly, ever since I was young, I always thought, like, I would end up in the helping field in, like, some sort of way. Um, I never, like, initially thought it would be social work because, like, I guess really, like, you have this, like, bad idea of what a social worker is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially, yeah, especially being Mi'kmaq, like, and seeing how people have, like, dealt with, like, the historical trauma that comes with social work. Um, so it definitely, like, kind of made me think, like, mm, is that really something I want to do? When I was younger, I always thought maybe I'd do something like law or, and mm, like, we both yeah. went into social services. So just, yeah, like, yeah. helping people in general was always something that I, like, had a drive to do. Um, I started, like, volunteering when I was probably, like, oh my gosh, like 11 with my mom. Um, So I've been volunteering like in the Mi'kmaq community since I was really young. And then also with like sport communities. So I was playing sports when I was younger, my siblings playing sports. So I did a lot of volunteering and that kind of led me to be, to like being able to decide that like, this is something I do really enjoy doing. You know, I like helping out in whatever capacity it may be at that time. 
Um, and then like social work in particular, I was at St. FX and I was doing my sociology and anthropology degree. And I ended up doing some research. So I was a research assistant with Dr. Jane McMillan and we were looking at policing relations in McMoggy. And I also was a research assistant and doing data entry for Dr. Fred Ween of Dalhousie. And we were looking at like fishing, social, ceremonial for the Mi'kmaq communities as well. And that kind of led me to decide that I would like to go a little deeper, like on that path and not just not just do like the research or like, you know, like going in and talking to people is really great. But it's also like, how can I help them help themselves? Oh, you know, and yeah. like what? Yeah. Like in what way can I like help them understand a little better, like what their options are and stuff mm -hmm. and like when I was doing the research around policing relations that really opened up my eyes to like so many things that I hadn't really thought about I guess like I had the privilege to not be like very involved in those kind of situations so to be able to like actually hear people's stories of like their time in the system in prison in jail like dealing with uh, the HRP, like the yeah. police department, <laughs> like, so things like that, like sitting in on talking circles and being able to hear people's experiences, like really opened up my mind to like, wanting to take a different path. Yeah. So yeah, then I ended up applying to my BSW and I got accepted. And I, <laughs> I didn't necessarily like care for the Dalhousie program. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I found it very like, theoretical it wasn't yeah. like and I would have preferred like a hands-on program for sure like something yeah. that was a little more like uh like real I guess like it was very much like read this and tell me what you thought of this reading <laughs> so yeah like but like coming out of that like having the knowledge that I did have it felt that I really needed to like hit the ground running and like actually start yeah. putting that like education into practice um but yeah like it's just it's been really interesting yeah <laughs> I feel like you've been on such just like oh wow I love hearing about your path it's so special and I feel <laughs> so connected to it so thank you so much for sharing more about that that's so cool I definitely I, I feel like there's 10,000 things that I want to ask you um and I could because I feel like I could talk to you forever um but I really want to know just like more about your work with like the cultural connection piece that you had highlighted and how it connects to mental health, but also like really the importance of that two wide scene approach. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, how does that kind of relate to your work, but also relate to your person? Yeah, so I guess I'll kind of just start off by like defining two-eyed seeing for the oh, listeners. Yes, please. Yeah, so two-eyed seeing um, was a term that was coined by Elder Albert Marshall of Unimagi or Cape Breton. And essentially what that means is like we're using like one eye for like the Western lens and the other eye for the Indigenous lens. But two-eyed seeing is using them both like simultaneously for the benefit of all. So when it comes to social work and like mental health, for me particularly, like it's really important that we're looking at like cultural connection. Um, so what kind of like, what kind of supports those people have in terms of like spirituality and like getting into community. 
so growing up off reserve, I didn't have as many opportunities to connect with culture. Uh, my gram, who was like fluent in Mi'kmaq, passed when I was pretty young. So when I was like a little kid, I was fluent in Mi'kmaq. And then I ended up going into like the colonial school system and I lost that. Mm -hmm. So like, it's definitely interesting for me to like come back and like be like relearning things and like digging deeper into culture. Um, so like, even just like, there's a lot of opportunities for Mi'kmaq youth across, like across the like across Canada honestly like I've done multiple different conferences in the past like couple years and like youth summits and things like that that have taken me like to all these really cool places like Saskatoon and like Calgary and Ontario so it's been really great in that sense to be able to connect with Indigenous youth across the country as well to see their journey but like at home in terms of that too like there's so many different things like my younger sister and I just went on a youth cultural camp back in September. So we went up to Cape Breton and we got to do ceremonies and like we did a hunting ceremony and it was the first one to be done in like over 500 years. Wow. Yeah. So there's like so many like different aspects of culture and like being able to meet so many different people who are like deeply enriched in that life too. It's just so amazing. Um, but to be able to pull that into my work as well and like recognize the importance of culture and those experiences for the youth and the families that I'm working with is something that's so big. Um, but also like in terms of mental health. Um, so I have like my mental health first aid, but I also have like First Nations mental health first aid, which yeah. looks at like historical trauma and, you know, like the the stigmatization of mental health really, but also how to approach it in a holistic manner, which is something that's so important as well. So it's really, it's all like really full circle. Um, you know, there's so many different connections to like, how someone's doing holistically um, and how they're doing like mentally. So if, are they getting connection to the land? Are they getting connection to elders? Are they able to access their language and access like ceremony, for example? Um, so like the first time I did a sweat ceremony, I think I was like 12 or 13. And again, it was through one of these incredible opportunities that I just happened to come across as a youth. And it was a youth cultural camp that was down of the Tadamagush Center. So it was like Mi'kmaq youth from across the province. And we all wow. got together. We got to do a naming ceremony. We got to do a sweat lodge. Like there's just so many like different aspects of stuff that is just like so enriching and just really sacred to be able to be a part of. But um, like some of the things like I do like personally for my own holistic well-being and like connection to culture, like I, I do a lot of beadwork. Um, it's a yes. lot of learning really, yeah. Yeah, like my beadwork, um, like quill work is something that I've like dabbled in. <laughs> it's so like, it's so interesting. And the, like, to like, not only just learn from people that have been practicing these things and like, basically like revitalizing that culture too, but also to be able to like, then pass that on to other youth is really cool. So that's something I got to do a lot of when I was doing my placement. Um, I got to teach like quill work and beading. Um, I also got to work on like ribbon skirts and stuff, which is really amazing. So yeah, like it's, yeah, it's just so interesting to like come from like a colonial like education and then move into like a place where I'm able to access like 
more like deep rooted like cultural understanding of like why things are the way they are and why people do have like the thoughts that they do like for example like when I show up as a social worker like I understand that being Mi'kmaq isn't gonna like ultimately make someone feel better that I'm there but in a sense it is going to help them know that I understand what they've gone through in their life Um, and I have like a much deeper understanding of the historical trauma because I've also lived that Mm -hmm. you know so it's one thing to like read about it but to have actually gone through it as well Um, like both my grandparents went to the residential school here in Shibanakadee my dad went to day school and was put in the home for colored children so like I have a really great understanding of how that kind of stuff like impacts you not only like in your own sense but also like in your familial sense and how those kind of traumas are passed down and like being able to know that I'm also like going to be someone who's breaking generational curses yeah it's really incredible too yeah yes because you're expecting a little one and so how does that kind of play a role in parenthood I know we didn't really talk much about this before but I would love to hear like a little bit about that Yeah, so that's something I'm so excited for. And like, even right now, like, I'm 22 weeks pregnant. So I'm like creeping up on going into month six. um, And it's just like, it's very sacred. Like, it's so it's so incredible. Like, knowing that I'm literally like, I have a life growing inside of me, like, every like my feelings, like she's feeling and you know, to be able to like, know that I need to ground myself a lot of days. I need to ground myself every day, truly, with the work yeah. I'm doing, especially. So it's so interesting to like, and then like just little things like we have ribbon skirts for her already. Like we oh. have little like regalia pieces and stuff like that. Beautiful. We have a little hand drum, like all these like different incorporations of culture that I already know are going to be happening in her life. It's just so incredible. Um, we have a library of books already and like 90% of them are indigenous based, which is just wow. amazing. So yeah, it's exciting. That's so exciting. So, Okay. I feel like when we were talking before I had found out that you had some interest in death doula ship mm-hmm. and a, a super funny twist because we were just talking about life and now we're like, let's talk about death. <laughs> um, but you had mentioned that to me and I was like, oh my gosh, you tell me, ev- I want to know everything. That is so cool. Like, how did you get involved with that like especially because it's like I feel like especially with indigenous death doula ship like Mm -hmm. how that differs from like western ideologies of death um, because there's so such a fear-based in western ideologies of death like I want to know everything just just give it to me Yeah, so I ended up doing the course for what it's called a Sacred Fire Death Doula. And it was wow. through Wolf Creek Consulting. And they're based out of BC. So um, they had an elder come in like the very first day of training. And it was literally just the elder talking to us all day. And she went on about how sacred the time of death is, but also like leading up to death because there's such a thin veil between the spirit world and our world here on earth during that time. (sighs) So that person who's like going through that is literally like in between, right? Wow. So I I think she just- Think about it. Yeah. Wow, yeah. And I think she described it as being like as thin as a leaf. 
So it's literally like you're so close and like you're literally like in the in-between and leading up like there's so many raw emotions that come with death, you know, especially if it's a stigmatized death, like if it's a suicide or if it's an overdose, for example. But in those times where you do know that like death is coming when it's an elder, for example, like it's a lot about just families coming together, offering support and showing their love uh, for that person because it helps them like pass like in a more like smoother transition, which is really interesting. And it also like some of the differences were really, there was a lot of focus on like medicinal, um, like herbs and medicines and stuff. And there's a lot of like stuff that you can have, like teas you can make with certain plants, like that promote like, crying um that like help you get through like grieving and things like that which is really interesting as well um and really just like that whole process is just so sacred because you know like death is a part of our lives yes but like yeah. it's also like learning to accept that and understand it in a deeper way like this isn't the end of that person's journey yeah, it was just really beautiful to be able to take that course. And I ended up taking it because I was doing Jordan's principal at the time. And part of my role as a coordinator was also sometimes supporting kids who had like pretty complicated medical diagnoses or whose family members yeah. did. And were going through those experiences as well. So it was something that really like helped me be able to like get a better grasp on how I help people like in those situations and how I respond to those things as well. Um, so it's just, I don't know, like it's hard to explain, like, because it's very much this like similar um, to like a Western ideology. Like you're there to support the family. You're there to right. help like, if they need help making like a plan, like what, um, if someone needs to talk to the person who is in the process of dying about what they want their funeral to look like, what how they expect to be buried and how they expect to be celebrated if they even want a funeral. Um, you know, so it's like you do that stuff, but you're also really focusing on like offering support to that individual, but also the family as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. And then looking mm -hmm. at like that cultural aspect as well, like and being able to offer like medicines, like the traditional medicines, like smudging and things like that. But then also, again, like, those like medicinal aspects too which is really cool yeah, yeah it's like can we talk a little bit about the relationship with the land when it comes mm -hmm. to death um because I feel like I don't know like definitely in like western culture like I feel like we are so disconnected from the earth um and like as you know like I'm a very earth-centered person so I would love to kind of like talk a little bit about that yeah I think in Western culture, like death is a very taboo subject. You know, someone passes and people kind of like shun away from how they're feeling. Um, yeah. But ultimately, you know, we are returned to the land when we die. Um, and like, it's it's very like life goes full circle, right? Right, we, right. <laughs> like, so we are returned to the land when we're passing, which is something that's so huge. But it's also like in those times, like, plants or like like medicines uh, and things yeah. like that like that also come from the land or things like that can offer support in those situations which is really beautiful as well um it's so difficult because a lot of people like 
especially in indigenous communities, you experience death from a very young age. And some, that's something that is like very frequent throughout your life. Um, so, you know, there's like sayings that as like an indigenous person, I'll be to more funerals than I will to weddings or graduations. And that's so true for so many people. Um, so it's really a part of just learning how to like actually cope with those situations and not yeah. just feeling like you need to shut down your emotions. No, feel your emotions. Like it's so important that you're actually like taking into account like how you're feeling because it's also how that person who is passing is feeling, you know, they're leaving mm -hmm. and like for you to just shut down is not what they want because they're going to want to hear it they're going to want yeah. to know like you love them and that you have always loved them and you're always going to remember like the good times and like just the way they were before passing as well and it's hard for people to like be able to convey that because situations are so difficult when someone is passing um but yeah like connection to land is just so big because it's really a way for us to ground ourselves and to understand that you know ultimately yes like this person is gone but they're still here with me you know um and like they're still like spiritually like you're never alone you yeah. know you always have people who are looking out for you yeah. and who are looking over you yeah yeah wow I have goosebumps. <laughs> that just like spoke to me on such a, um, just such a personal, just, wow. Thank you so much for sharing about that. Um, can you tell me like a little bit about the logistics of death doula ship? Like what is the role of the doula in that scenario? Yeah, so, I mean, it can look different for, I think, every doula. And, like, really, it depends on what the family and that person wants. Um, so I'm not, like, I didn't actually go and register myself as a doula. Like, I'm not out practicing, but I use, like, that education in my social work. Um, so, but if someone is a registered doula, what it would look like is if you do know that a family member is, you know, coming up on their time of passing, you can bring in a death doula and they'll basically help support the family in whatever way the family feels it's most appropriate or that person who is in the process of passing feels most appropriate. So it could be like they're looking to help you like figure out like what your funeral is going to look like um if you want a funeral like how you want like what you want to be dressed in um yeah, what kind of music yeah. you want to have playing it can be like all those little aspects that can be really difficult conversations for family members to have with that person but then it's also a lot of support and like education around like the death and dying process like what is typically normal like there's this thing called like the death rattle when people you know yes. get close yeah and then there's also like aspects where people sometimes who are like very close to passing will get like a burst of energy all of a sudden and like a lot of family members think oh they're doing really well but it's actually like a very normal process of dying where they will get that burst of energy and then you'll see them pass 
very shortly after. Um, so it's also just a way for the family to get more education on what is going on. And also like an advocate if they need it, if it's in hospital, if it's someone that can, you know, help ask questions for what's going on or explain what medical staff are doing or why they're doing it. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, like there's just so many different ways that they're able to support the family and the person, but it's really dependent on what they would like that to look like as well, because you don't want to be overstepping, of course. Of course. Yeah, most definitely. Can we talk a little bit more about the medicinal side of things mm -hmm. and about, you know, the use of herbs and the use of smudging? Um, I am very much, obviously, a very much like a white settler, but I feel like herbs are a massive part of my own life. And I definitely want to like talk a little bit more about like, how herbs and smudging can be a part of not even just the death process but also the life process mm -hmm. oh sorry i just switched my page there <laughs> no, it's okay <laughs> i'm gonna edit this don't even worry we have like <laughs> um, seven minutes left and then uh, we're gonna get kicked out but i'll yeah. just sign back in Okay, perfect. Um, no, yeah. So there's just like, there's a lot of different plants that you can use for like, oh, I wish I had, I know I have somewhere like an actual list of everything and like specifically what they're for. Yeah. So there's certain plants that like help you like open up your like chakras and actually to be able to cry which oh, I thought was so interesting that's um, so interesting I yeah. have no idea this is like I'm learning this right now I'm gonna have to do like a big google search after we talk and like I definitely have like some resources I I should be able to find them and send them to you too and I should have pulled them up to talk about uh, but there was so many that I just I I didn't know about either yeah. Uh, so like it's yeah like like I think there's like St. John's wort and like yes there's yeah. all yeah like there's all these different plants that have like specific things for different aspects of like the grief process and the mourning process yeah. so whether it be like helping you cry or literally like calming you and stuff like <sighs> it's yeah it's just very interesting um but I will send you like some documentation around it too because it was something that really stuck out to me like I, I didn't realize that there was so many different like medicinal plants that you can use in the like for such specific situations like I, <laughs> I'm like my brain is exploding yes. right now I had no idea that there was a plant to support crying like that's wow mm -hmm. my brain is like what um yeah because I feel like I feel like I, I use lavender and stuff all the time like um to support like calmness and you mm -hmm. know when my little guy was little I used to like warm up like milk and then I would put like lavender syrup in it especially when he was like sick and like having a hard time sleeping like plants are such a powerful thing they're mm -hmm. so they're so powerful um so how does okay so we talked about death doula ship and your mental health um kind of journey and that connection mm -hmm. um can you tell me a little bit about how does community kind of play a role in your work but also in your life um mm -hmm. and how they kind of support this practice yeah so for me personally like I said growing up off reserve I didn't live in community um my father did so like I would often like be in community but ultimately at the end of the day like I went home off reserve so right. being able to like build my own sense of community through those kind of like youth gatherings and different things that I've done has been really 
incredible even like going to school and like finding people that I'm on the same like wavelength with yeah is really yeah fun. yeah so just being able to build your own community as well but in terms of like Mi'kmaq communities for me personally like it's really about just like humbling myself in a sense and being able to like go in and be willing to learn and willing to know that like what my teachings are aren't going to be someone else's teachings. Um, our teachings differ from community to community, family to family, nation to nation, right? So having like met so many different Indigenous um, youth from across the country has been just really cool because I get to hear about like what their teachings have been um, and, and like in comparison to like what mine have been. So like some communities um, out west and even here in Nova Scotia, like some people, for example, um, when you're going into a sweat ceremony, they want you and like the women in like a long skirt. Um, and it's supposed to like, you know, it's supposed to be part of like the sacredness and like having you connected to the ground. But then also like, I grew up with elders who didn't require that. Right. Who I I went into sweat lodges and basketball shorts when I was a kid, and like the elders I worked with, yeah. like, that was, you know what I mean? Like that was fine and that was okay. And then like and also in terms of like some people have um, like ceremony rules where you need to be sober for four days. Um, yeah. I also grew up in the sense where. If someone's willing to show up to ceremony, you don't deny them ceremony. It's one thing mm. to like, 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 yes, like weed is like not being sober in a sense, but a lot of people use that for medicinal reasons. Right. So like having the expectation that someone needs to have not used it for four days might not right. work for someone. So I had an elder, Dale Soloboy from Millbrook, who like always encouraged youth who were struggling with substance issues, for example, like 24 hours, don't smoke that day. Yeah. Um, and you, like, so it's just like, it's very interesting to see like the differences in teachings, but also like humbling because it allows me like to remind myself that not everybody comes from that same background and not everybody has those same opportunities so if you're having like a four-day sober rule like you're also eliminating a lot of people from being able to access that ceremony yeah. too yeah and even in terms of like the skirts like for me I was never like a girly girl yeah. so like like when I like I think I had to put on a dress or a skirt one time for a sweat and I was just like oh <laughs> it's not ideal for me I was like damn okay I will because you're asking me to but I would prefer not to <laughs> so like it's really interesting like and I respect that because it's their teachings and everyone's teachings are different but at the end of the day like it's not going to work for everyone um which is really like which just really like culturally humbling did you have any thoughts or ideas on education and sorry actually you know what um, now that you say that like something that I do for volunteering is I volunteer with the kids help phone so they have an initiative 
sorry, an indigenous initiative yeah. called Weaving Threads. And so it's weaving, this is new, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's newer. Um, but Weaving Threads, basically, like anybody, like indigenous or ally, can get involved. And there's no like set hours that are required for the indigenous program because they have a harder time getting volunteers than like the normal kids help phone program. So it can also just look like anything is like, it can be you're going into community and you're handing out like posters and like the kid help phone number and stuff. They also uh, have like a specific um, kids help phone like text line uh, for indigenous youth. So you can like go out and give out resources for that. Like if you're at university, like it, you don't have to be a kid to use kids help phone. Um, I think that's something like a lot of people think like, oh, you have to be like a child. Like, no, like you can, there's plenty of adults that text the kids help phone number um, in situations where they just need additional supports. Yeah. Um, but basically you can sign up and they'll interview you and they'll send you like all this information packages and you can like, just use that as a way to like, you know, be an ally, but also to be able to like educate yourself because you're learning like so much more about how, you know, the mental health of Indigenous youth is impacted much more greatly than non-Indigenous youth in terms of like kiddos who are in remote communities, for example, yeah, or yeah. the, ex you know, the experiences that they're going through, like even like here in Nova Scotia, like there's often times where there's like really big issues with suicide in Indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. um, and we often see like kiddos and youth like and um, it's like like one kid will commit suicide and then someone else thinks like that's a good idea. I'm going to do that too. And then it almost leads into like a chain reaction. So right. for example, like my mom did youth support for me my family, but like my whole life actually, since yeah. um, like, literally since she was pregnant with me, she's been involved with my family and she's still fostering my siblings right now um, through them. So, but like when she was doing youth support work, she had like four or five kiddos that she worked with who ended up passing due to suicide. So there's these really big epidemics in Indigenous communities across the country where youth just don't have access to those supports. And Kids yeah. Help Phone is really trying to like fill the gaps in those situations. But the Weaving Threads program is really cool. So you get access to like not only like all the educational information that they have like on their sites, but then you also get access to like the like the business cards that they give out with the information that you can hand out, even if you just like go to your old school and you just pass them over to the teachers and they are the guidance counselors and they are able to have those in person for the youth. It's really nice as well uh, because there's not very many people that do do it, especially like here in like the smaller provinces. Um, yeah. So I actually... Yeah, and I was actually um, up in Ontario for the Weaving Threads Forum back in November. Um, and like I said, it's a lot of people out west that are involved. So to have more people from Nova Scotia or even just the Maritimes in general would be really great to be able to, you know, share that informational resources with communities. And like, it doesn't need to be like someone going to reserve like you know, there's lots of Indigenous kiddos who are off reserve and in schools um, outside of community, too. So it could even just be like, you know, you're handing them to like your local like Boys and Girls Club or, you know, a place where youth frequent um, is very important to be able to like have those like resources. But then it also just allows you to be able to 
understand a little bit more and learn a bit more, which is really cool. So I encourage anyone, uh, indigenous or ally, to get involved in that program. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah, really, it's really interesting though. Um, it was really humbling to see all the different people from across the country because there's so many different, like, there's so many differences between like what youth here are facing versus like youth in like rural Ontario with zero access to internet, for example. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, and like how how those volunteers have to get out to like communicate and like advocate for youth. Um, I guess like a, one of the big ways that they are able to get stuff out there is like over radio versus like here, like social media is something that's like far more accessible. Yeah. So yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and the Kids Help Phone site also has like Basically, like any scenario you can think of, they'll have like topics and like write ups on it too, which is really nice. Wow, that yeah. you are doing so much right <laughs> now. I just you're like, oh, and then I volunteered here, and then I did this. <laughs> now I'm here. <laughs> you are doing so so much. Um, okay, I do have to ask, like, what are, what is your like? Wow, first of all, weave and thread that is incredible mm -hmm. and I love the fact that they are coming at it with an indigenous lens because I definitely feel like you know kids helpful and there is definitely these resources um mm -hmm. so I'm really wow that's amazing amazing work good job kids help phone pat yourself on the back um <laughs> but so what's your goal with your career like what is your goal for your soul like I I just want to know more about like what your path because you are just doing so much right now I'm just amazed yeah, I think ultimately, like, my goal for the future would probably be to start my own nonprofit. I oh. think that's where I'm really leaning towards. Yeah, you, know, you are. I, yeah, like, I would like to be my own boss at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I so fucking really, knew it. <laughs> so that is definitely, that's my goal for the future. Um, it's probably going to have to wait a few years. I'm definitely going to want to do my master's in social work eventually. Um, yeah. But with a, with a baby on the way, too, like... We have a lot on the go already. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'll probably end up doing my master's in the next couple years. And then I'll slowly start to move into like what that's going to look like for me to start my own nonprofit. Um, I've talked about this with my mom a lot also, which is really funny because like she's she's very much like my like my main like source of inspiration when it comes to helping, especially in the Mi'kmaq communities, because she's done so much my whole life. Um, so one of the things like we've talked about is how cool it would be to start like a transitional house for women and children. So essentially like any like indigenous or even non-indigenous as well, but um, anyone who's like pregnant or expecting or has like young babies and how to help them like navigate what they're going through at that moment, whether it be mental health challenges, whether it be addiction, but also to provide like protective factors um, and not to allow things like Mi'kmaq Family or DCS to become involved, but allow them to like yeah. be working on themselves, getting their GED, doing yeah. programming, and then also providing like a safe space for them. So what I would want it to look like is they would come into the program, um, ideally like while they were still pregnant and then they would work on all these different programmings and supports and services and that it would transition into them being in a transitional housing with the baby and yeah. then we could support them for like a year or two and getting like like a job getting their own place and all those different things like uh, budgeting and like stuff like that too so I think something like that would be really cool and like really beneficial because we 
and also like adding in like cultural aspects like um abilities to have access to like cultural programming and elders and language mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff so like that's something that i ideally <laughs> hope to do that's in the future the goal. <laughs> yeah and honestly <laughs> I, can, me on it, but... <laughs> I can see you doing it too like you're gonna kill it it's gonna be amazing i'm ready <laughs> i'm already on board don't even worry <laughs> um they, like i just I feel like I we just like I took in so much information. My brain is just like <laughs> ready to explode and just do a thousand different things. But thank you so so much for just willing to come on. Like we had talked about it for like two years. I feel like of, of doing a <laughs> podcast episode together, and I just have to thank you so much for just being willing and able to do this. Like this was so special, and just keep doing you because you are gonna do some amazing thing I'm ready I'm I already see it it's it's happening <laughs> um so let's talk a little bit about um your art page because this is kind of where people can find you and find your find your work um your art is beautiful I am an avid follower I will always advocate for your art page okay so tell us a little bit about that yeah so my art page I'm on Instagram um creations underscore shy so creations underscore c-h-e-y um as of right now I feel like I'm not very active I definitely could be so much more active on there um but I feel like I'm very much focusing a lot more on work and especially being pregnant I'm focusing yeah. on like myself and like the changes <laughs> I'm going through emotionally and physically <laughs> like the other yeah. day I cried because I got a sandwich breakfast sandwich from Tim Hortons asked for no egg and they gave me egg on it <laughs> falling your so, eyes <laughs> literally I'm in the car I'm in the truck like Jonah's driving and I open it and I'm like oh my god I knew it <laughs> <laughs> so like as of right I now I'm it. not literally as soon as I just knew it I was like I opened it up and I just started bawling I was like oh my god like I was like damn you need to chill <laughs> <laughs> so as of right now I'm definitely not doing as much um as I would like to be but I'm hoping like once I go off um onto maternity leave and stuff I'll have a little bit more time and especially having a baby girl I'm so excited because <laughs> I'll be able to like make so many things for her too yeah <laughs> so I'm hoping that I'll be doing a lot more sewing and a lot more beading um, <sighs> in the coming like months but yeah you can find me on Instagram um you can follow me on there and like I said like definitely not as active as I could be but I will be a lot more yeah, <laughs> in the definitely. upcoming months so yeah so keep your eyes peeled listeners for some more art coming our way um I feel like I need to do a full segment series with just artists because I I'm just like I, every time someone does art I'm like oh my god tell me all about it I want to know everything um uh, okay thank you so freaking much for this this was amazing uh listeners you're amazing and keep doing what you need to do and Thank you so much again. Have the best day possible.